All right. Welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different film each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. I'm John. And the three of us are on vacation in Austin, Texas. Well, I guess seeing as how me and John are perpetually unemployed, we've been on a never-ending vacation of sorts, you know, a sort of endless summer, which is kind of in its own funny way, a hell on earth. I guess like co-hosting a podcast while unemployed is sort of like living at Disneyland, but you can't afford, you know, anything. You can't go on any of the rides. Epcot doesn't take your food stamps. But Sam is most certainly on vacation right now. Not really. I've been working most of this trip. Well. I worked today. I feel like I could put a gun to your head and be like, you can't work today. And you just be like, pull the You know what? Just pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. (laughs) (laughs) But the reason why we're in Austin is because John is on his thrice yearly sabbatical to this beautiful city. And earlier this week was his 30-something birthday. And usually every year we we celebrate by doing like a big movie marathon that John curates. But the last two years, yeah, something's COVID. COVID had some bullshit made it so we couldn't (laughs) hang out and watch, you know, twenty four hours of movies together and do a bunch of drugs and you know have general good hearted fun. But honestly. Witnessing the collapse of society is totally fine, but like missing another one of your fucking birthday marathons, like I wasn't gonna do it too much. No, no. So we flew out, and uh, originally when we were gonna come out, we were gonna do an episode on Texas Chainsaw Massacre and other Texas slashers. Yeah, we were gonna do like a Southern Fried Texas Triple Feature episode. Town that tried sundown was on that list. Yeah, hell yeah, yeah, it was a Nail Gun Massacre. Even though you both. I think don't want to watch it. Well, you know, you don't mind. Uh, I've, I've for seen science. it. That's, I don't think I can rewatch it. A masterpiece that already has many followers in the USA. Nailgun Massacre. Out now. After we got here and we did the marathon that John curated, it was like, okay, let's let's scrap our original plan. Yeah. Because the fucking movies we watched were so. It's just unique and out there, and like I don't think I had even heard of half of them until the title screen came on for the first time, which is a great feeling to have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in the case of at least one of them, neither had anyone else, aside from what five people on Letterboxd. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was like three to five people had like, and only one review, and it was by this guy. Oh wait, actually, I can't spoil it now. So <laughs> yeah. we'll wait till we get we'll, oh, yeah, we'll come back to it. So uh, this episode is going to kind of be in the same vein as our Exhumed Films episode, or even like our Christmas special, where we're going to go through the marathon that we just did and kind of get into the crazy details of some of these just fucking psycho flicks but before we do that i kind of want to talk more broadly about movie curation or film curation or whatever that means (laughs) yeah and i think we talked about this a little bit on the exhumed episode because obviously in their case, if you're, you know, doing this Halloween marathon for 24 hours straight, you have to think pretty 
carefully about what you want to show and what will be good at what times. And I think the same thing applies when you're doing a marathon for 10 people or five people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And like, obviously we don't need to deconstruct the notion of what a, what film curation is. It's pretty straightforward, you know, like you could put together Mr. Bean's European vacation and fucking Abin Costello's Jack and the Beanstalk or something. And you got bean night. That's that's movie curation. There yeah. you go. That's all you need. You know? As long as you serve some bean dip. Serve some fucking beans. Open up a can of beans and sell for 10 bucks at the concession stand. <laughs> that's like, on. It's, that sounds sick. I mean, it's definitely something that the Alamo Draft House would do. It doesn't have to be flashy when you're curating a marathon. You just have to put some thought in it. You, just, you know, if you give a shit enough to think, then you, you got yourself a little thing going. Yeah, but I feel like there are also very different approaches to it. Like... You and John have a totally different way of putting together marathons than I do because I am sort of compulsive and, you know, OCD and anxiety disorders are very close to each other on the spectrum <laughs> and it's easy to see where mine manifests. Yeah. All your marathons are, there's they have always... a theme. There has to be a theme. A, a serious My life theme. falls apart if there's no theme. Yeah. Like when I first started doing marathons, it was a couple of years ago. I would have people to my house once a month, which was a big deal for me because I hated the idea of anyone invading my space but learned to love it partly because we would do these like five or six movie marathons. Like we did all the death wish movies to start off with and we did sword and sorcery day. And so it was usually like focused on an actor or a director or subgenre, but John just does the complete opposite thing, which I also have come to love because I trust his taste. Like I, if some, someone I didn't know as well, said, hey, we're going to watch eight movies. I won't tell you what they are. You probably haven't seen any of them. I would be like, yeah, I probably have seen them. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of got a thing to do. Yeah, I prefer the scattershot way of, of, of marathon. I, I like it like when you're done and you've just been everywhere. You've seen, you've yeah. seen things from different countries, different genres, and it's almost like at the end you need to go to bed. Like you're, even though you've just been sitting around watching movies, you've just gotten this like roller coaster of different flavors that you're like your brain's now totally melted, and it's it's time to go. It's time to put my head down on the pillow. Yeah, but usually at the end of our marathons it's like we've had a lot of snacks and some people have alcohol other people have different kinds of drugs so sometimes your brain literally is melted by that <laughs> yeah, yeah. self-destruct five seconds the pain begins in your flesh in your brain four seconds you feel its power three seconds the pressure the pounding the terror two seconds you can't breathe it chokes you. It destroys you. One second. You begin to self-destruct. Experience the terror. But I think that, like what you were saying, Sam, about how your marathons are always very organized and they're thought in a way that, like, there's a certain theme and thread that you can follow. Even when, like, like some of your themes are very obvious, like when we had that plant marathon. But there's so many directions you can go in because it wasn't just killer plants. There's like all kinds of plants plant. gone wild. Plants gone wild. <laughs> Use your imagination, folks. Yeah, we, we went from 
typical things like uh, Godzilla versus Biollante. Well, I guess maybe that's not oh, typical. Oh, no, that, that's but definitely atypical in yes, the plant marathon. But it's Godzilla fighting a giant plant kaiju. Yeah. So, it, of course, it had to go in there. But I think that John's style of curating marathons is it's a really tough needle to thread because there isn't an obvious reason for its existence beyond watching movies. So you have to be extremely mindful of like your opener and then your follow up to that and then your follow up to that and then like your come down movies after you have something crazy and and also being mindful of times because when you're doing a marathon and it's going on for like you know 12 13 14 15 hours you don't want to put the one that's like your thoughtful real movie on at 1 a.m. No, of course not. My my general rule is like I put the more 70s and older movies in the daytime. So I ju- we usually start at like noon, sometimes a little later, sometimes a little earlier. And then it's just like, okay, the pacing to these movies are a bit more lax than anything else. So two in the afternoon, this old black exploitation movie that might have like a 30 minute lull in the second act will go down better than if I put it at like 1130 when everybody's a bit more buzzed and yeah, the eyelids are getting heavier. And one thing I want to point out too, and this is fucking nuts to me, but since you have been doing this for so long, it's now to me is the norm. Whenever you curate a marathon, there are movies that you've never seen before. Usually like there might be one that you had seen years and years yeah, ago or something. Yeah. But usually it seems like we're all on this, like, psychonautical mission. So when I, like, I go deep diving for these movies, and I have an external flash drive. And some of them, like, I'm like, I want to watch that now. But there's another one that's like, this movie sounds, like, uh, like wacky, and it will please a crowd. And it's like, I want to go down this route, but I want to, like, bring my, like, Dungeons and Dragons group with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll fucking find it out <laughs> together. And, and... Most of the time, it's better that way. Like, if I won't say the title and spoil it, but we watched a really great Hong Kong action movie, and that's so much more exciting when you're in a room full of people going, Whoa! Absolutely. No, for sure. Yeah, those have been the real gems for me. Like, a marathon we did probably a year ago, maybe, in the Hong Kong action slot, John showed us this movie called The Last Blood that is like become oh. my favorite one of my favorite movies that I've seen in the yeah, last that, two years. That was in my top ten new to me it's list just last year. Those like psycho movies. Yeah, yeah. and it, like when you see something, especially when you see like an insane stunt, and you're watching it by yourself, you don't have anybody to be like, "What? Whoa! What? Holy shit!" Yeah, no, for sure. And and there's so many movies that I really want to watch that I have on like a list of like I gotta watch this. But when the opportunity comes up, meaning the opportunity when I'm like by myself with nothing to fucking do, I am I don't want to watch it. I'm I'm saving this for you guys. Right. You know, right. I'm saving this for when the time comes that it's gonna. Because some movies, especially some of the movies that we're gonna be talking about, they play better after you just got done watching four fucking movies. Like when your brain is in that right pudding state, that like the movie comes on. And you're just like, okay, here we fucking go, you know? Whereas if it was just 8 o'clock on a Tuesday and you and your friend get together, you watch it, like, yeah, I guess that was okay. That's another thing. 
to me, and this isn't just marathons, but movie watching in general, it's like a ceremonious thing. Like I can't just like sit down and be like, I'm watching this, whatever. Like to me, I'm like, I always got my drink ready. You know, I got my nachos or whatever ready. And like, if somebody's, you know, like if I'm doing it with people, I'm like, we're waiting for everybody to get here, waiting for like the chit chat to die down. And like, we're pressing play. Everybody ready. It's like going to church. It is. Yes, absolutely. Oh yeah, for sure. And I guess. But better. Uh, well, says, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that goes without saying. It's our version. Well, it depends on which church. Some churches really, you know, got that magic sauce. Oh, yeah, going, like like a Baptist know. church where everybody's singing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, the ones where they're fucking, like, stabbing people with shit and they're bringing snakes out. I was going to say, we oh. can't forget the snakes. Mm. Well, snake we're in Texas. Friends. Didn't they fucking invent that shit? Here? They're also... My grandma. Hello, Dottie. It's me, Pee-wee. Where are you calling from? Texas. Where? Honest. Listen, I'll prove it. The stars at night are big and bright. Big in the heart of Texas. <laughs> well, one more thing before we get to the movies. And this, uh, I'm probably going to have to cut out. So since we had to fly down here, uh, I couldn't smuggle anything on the plane, you know? Yeah, and that's you, rational. You, you wisely chose not to. I could have done it. I could have done it. I know there's ways people do it all the fucking time, you know? As long as you don't have, like, a kilo of something under, like, a toupee and you're just, like, walking in sweating fucking bullets, they don't give a shit. They're yeah, but you have you. so much hair that in order to wear a toupee, you, I don't know what that would look like. <sighs> Probably wouldn't look good. And getting caught, like, there would be hell to pay. No, and all you gotta you do is just... the marathon. Okay, yeah. this is why I didn't do it. I did. Okay, if we were just coming down here to hang out... Uh, but the thing is, is like usually we go like 24 to 36 hours when we do these. But like when you don't have any acid around four in the morning, you're like, OK, so let's pause this and pick it back. Pick, up. Yeah, because we're all adults now. We are. <laughs> but also I did before we get into it, I did want to address something, which is I for quite a while now have been in the habit of sharing... I'm obsessed with taking screenshots of the title card. Not just any time I'm watching a movie, but usually when we're doing marathons. And then I'll share them on my Instagram. And a lot of the time I'll get people who write in and say, like, where can I find this? Or, oh my God, I've never heard of this. Or, oh, you guys should consider doing a streaming channel. Yeah, we would love to. That would be sick. So I don't know... If I would, because Mm. one of the things, so I think all three of us did this for a little while at the beginning of quarantine. There are streaming channels like All We Need Is Sleaze who do Discord streaming marathons that usually have a theme. But I feel like a big part of those streaming marathons is that people want to engage with each other in the chat. And like if we could find a way to stream movies and have there be people not looking at their phones, I would be totally into it. Yes. But like, you know, I watch the movie. You don't need to be on your phone messaging other people. Totally. I feel like there are definitely some marathons where I can get that. Like the all we need is sleaze ones. Like when you're watching a bunch of fucking ninja flicks and you're just like, you're almost there more to hang with your homies than Which you are to watch fine. movies. Totally and fine. And that's definitely how some of my marathons were is i would pick movies that i had already seen yeah and invite people over and we would partially watch them and partially hang out but i kind of yeah grew i think because i grew out of that and got to a point where 
I want to see things I've never seen before, or I want to see, you know, a bunch of crazy cat three movies that are like not fun hanging out. Movies. Totally. And movies are very interesting in that they're this thing that we can share with each other, but they're also simultaneously a solitary thing. So it's like you can hang out with all your fucking people and also kind of in a way be by yourself in your own head watching the movie, you know? And if you're constantly like engaging in, yeah, I totally see what you're saying. And, yeah, and I it's think like I agree. It, it can be multiple things, but I think for us at this point, I think we pretty much all agree that like a little chatting is fine sometimes. And especially, I feel like all of us, when we program our own marathons, will have the like stupid movie where it's yeah. here's this yeah. insane shot on video thing that we're kind of gonna laugh over. Yeah. When it's like our dinner break, break movie yes. where we can hang out. Or, yeah, for when, sure. When something presents a pun, I I can't. You can't I help literally yourself. start sweating if I don't get it out. I can see you when you like have a joke in your head and you start fucking just vibrating. Like I can feel you getting hotter. You know, the heat picks up. It's like like the death breath is gonna come out of his mouth if he can't say the pun. <laughs> really funny. Really funny. What do you mean I'm funny? It's, it's funny, you know. It's a good story. It's funny. You're a funny guy. What do you mean? You mean the way I talk? What? It's just, you know, you it's you're just funny. It's you know, the way you tell the story and everything. Funny how? I mean, what's funny about it? Tommy, no, you got it all wrong. Hey. Oh, oh, Anthony. He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? You're right. Funny how. So for those of you who are on Discord, we do have a channel, and we'll talk about this more at the end of the episode, but I think at some point we might try to figure out how to stream marathons. But if you're hungry for them in the meantime and you don't know how to torrent or how to find some of the more difficult titles... I think in the interim, a really good alternative is this streaming-only service called Cathode Cinema. Oh, you've been fucking on their shit for so long. I got to check them out. They're just this website. Uh, You can also find them on Instagram under the same name. And they don't do them every day, but pretty frequently they do marathons that are like a weird combination of my style and John's style where it's they'll pick a theme, but the theme is insane and allows them to have movies in like every different subgenre and different countries. And it's this like great mix of totally obscure things you've never seen or heard of. And then some more like beloved cult movies. Like recently they did Gothic fairy tales and Valerie and her week of wonders is on there. But then there was other shit where it's like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, I know we were just talking about how, like, I do these, like, obscure, like, oddity marathons. But sometimes doing the opposite is fun, too. Like, Oh, yeah. A few years ago, I was dating this girl, and her and her roommates, like, they really liked horror movies. And they'd seen, like, a good chunk of them. But, like, I knew, like, other weird corners we could go. So I was like, okay, like, here, uh... We'll get together and fucking, you know, watch five movies on Saturday night. And I was playing shit. Like, even though I'd seen it a million times, like, from beyond, they had never yeah. seen it. And, like, when Jeffrey Combs' old, like, penis monster oh comes out of his forehead, they were all, like, just losing it. And I was yeah. like, actually, this is fun. This is, like, even though, like, I prefer, like, going down, like, new dark corners with you guys, sometimes just, like... Taking out yeah. an old classic that you know is going to be a banger to people that is, like, seeing it completely fresh... 
There's something special to that too. It oh, certainly totally. is. That's the best way to rewatch movies is to rewatch them with someone who's never seen it before. So that way, in a way, you can vicariously live through them. Yes. And you're watching it for the first time, too. That's so fun to do. It's do you know great. what sucks? Do you ever do that and the movie falls flat for whoever you show? Of course. Them? It's so of course. painful. Uh, oh, especially yes. when you're talking it up, you know? Yeah. Oh, my God. I had uh, a year or so ago, I made Charles watch... Ashes of Time, the Wong Kar Wai, Wong Kar Wai yeah. uh, Wuja. It was fine. But in my head, so it was a movie that I saw in my early 20s. It was like one of the first, you know, uh, that era Hong Kong movies I watched. And I just was in love with it. But of course, since then, have seen so many things. My tastes have changed. And so we watched it like in sort of a Hong Kongy type marathon night yeah and it just i was like what did i what is this <laughs> so yes it's yeah. the opposite is ashes of time yeah ashes of time i kind of now want to watch it again to see if the disappointment has faded i would check it out again i mean i, I also didn't didn't totally hate it but i i, I there's still some more Wong car y flicks that i haven't seen so i'm gonna i'm gonna hold off isn't he more of a drama guy or am yeah. i thinking of somebody yeah, else yeah this okay. is well, like a wuja melodrama okay cool so cool he is a drama guy but he cut his teeth as just this like voracious script writer in hong kong yeah, and, he wrote Haunted Cop Shop. Oh, okay. And, and a fucking dozen other things. Like crazy flicks that like we would watch. Wong Kar Wai is on the script, which oh. is kind of wild. If somebody was like, John, we need like 30 Cat 3 movies in two months, I could do it. I could, you know, I, I, I would starve myself. I would lock myself up. What are you talking room. about? Oh, about writing scripts? Yeah. If, no, cat three, if they're like, you can make I a ever Cat read 3. A single, oh, ugh. oh my God. I would go everywhere. If mm. I ever win the lottery i will happily finance those oh yeah, we're gonna bankroll your fucking them. nasty yeah. ass <laughs> it's like so many put and like absolutely shame and if it's certain just like comes out totally insane even better even better <laughs> <laughs> all right friends you guys want to get into these insane fucking movies hell yeah yes although i i feel like a little context is Something that I've noticed John does, which is sort of similar to what Exhume do for their like long marathons, is I feel like you pick a number of different subgenres, like either Poliziotesky or Black Exploitation or Hong Kong Action, like we mentioned, Cat 3. And so it's like now that I've watched enough of your marathons, I have like a general idea of yeah. when to expect or not when to expect things, but like that certain subgenres might be coming. Right. Yeah, and I think that's what I was saying earlier when I was saying that like, despite the fact that like, that it's a tough needle to thread because they are from all over the place, but there is a rhythm and there is a thought that goes into them. And they're also like almost more interesting because you kind of, even when you do get a sense of like how John curates, you still don't fucking know what you're going to get next. And there's a little bit of a, a sense of danger to them. Yeah, I kind of like this roller coaster way where, like, in the beginning, it's it's a bit old. Movies are a bit older, but a bit more innocent, even yeah. though there's some, you know, rough stuff in there. But, like, I don't get into, like, the grimy stuff until it's late at night. Yeah. I yeah. prefer that. I, and by then, I'm usually like, where the fuck is my Cat 3 movie? <laughs> don't make me burn this living room to the ground. Well, another thing is I haven't done this for a few years, so I had, like, 80 movies picked. But you started strong. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Movie one, it's got two titles. It's Lethal Hunter, and the title that like seems to come up more often, it played under Lethal Hunter, is American Hunter. This 1989 Indonesian fucking... Action, exploitation, extravaganza. Yeah. Superhero Chris Mitchum versus the world. So, Mr. Carver, you told me on the phone you have a business proposition that could make me rich? I said very rich. One million U.S. deposited anywhere in the world. And what do you want from me? The microfilm. Like a like the, the plot is just some shitty regular old like there's a microfilm he's got to get the microfilm fucking yeah the plot doesn't matter you know that's right. really it it's just the MacGuffin yeah it, it's like an excuse for Chris Mitchum to do stunts throughout Indonesia and kick people and obviously seduce some woman yes. and as he would he's Chris Mitchum come on but oh like my the, God. the thing is so Chris Mitchum. <laughs> Son of Robert Mitchum, uh, the lesser actor of the two. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> Chris Mitchum. How dare you? There's like a... I don't know how many of these movies there are, but we you showed a similar one to this a few years ago. Which but it's was these, magical. It's these movies that he was in in Indonesia where... Directed by this guy named Arizal. Just one, one, one name. Yeah. yeah. Arizal. That's it. That's all you need to know. You know, it's like Iman or Prince. I imagine that the reason why the director chose to use only one name is because of the amount of stunt workers, stunt men and women who were clearly maimed and disfigured making these movies. Those are the lucky ones. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, like the complete and utter callous disregard for the lives of the people in these movies. Like, just you see someone crash in a motorcycle and like, and sometimes the camera will cut like just before you see them rolling on their arm and breaking it because that would just be a little too much to show in your movie. Like, oh, that guy really just broke his arm and you can see the death. It's, well, it's, then they'd have proof when they yeah. sue you. And if yeah. you oh, clip hey, the footage away and throw it, you know, and burn it real quick, then they can't prove anything. Yeah. Like this movie is one that feels dangerous to watch because like sometimes the action's really schlocky. And, like, Chris Mitchum is, like, you know... The flat... They're all really flat actors. Extremely flat. And Chris Mitchum is the king of being flat. And in the defense of the Indonesian actors, I'm guessing that some of the flatness comes from the dubbing. And I think some of it probably comes from the fact that, like, these are mostly stunt performers. Yeah. Who, who yeah. are doing amazing work. They, they were the, the few people, like, they, the acting is done by people who are willing to die to make a Chris Mitchum action vehicle. So <laughs> they probably weren't insane. the smartest. Oh, my gosh. No, it's, it's truly nuts. It's baffling. The movie begins, there's a meeting in an office building, and this guy in, a, in the adjacent building is watching down on them with binoculars and he's like, Oh, okay. And then he gets in his car and drives off that building into the other building, just crashing through through his office. Yeah. It's insanity from like, I feel like it's also, so I sometimes will start marathons with like the more serious art house movie, but for one that is going a whole weekend, I feel like you have to start it this way. Yeah, yeah. I always sure. like that that strong start, too. Yeah, know? open with a bang, slap right. them up. 
I know I do understand your take where the first movie is the one where like everyone's sitting down and they're not like restless yet. So they're willing to like actually take something in, which is why this being the first movie here, it's like, wow, I fully imbibed Lethal Hunter to its max. And and it's it's a crazy fucking feeling like it, it, it just it keeps escalating the action scenes and action set pieces were like early on like there's like some like hokey fight scenes and then like a minute later where an entire office is destroyed yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then like a, a minute later like cars are just exploding with people standing next to them and like the door of the car is being blown off into someone who is like far too close <laughs> to an exploding car and it's yeah, it, it feels fucking dangerous. The villain in this movie, what was his name? You have his, you said his it earlier. His name is Bill Superfoot Wallace, and he has some of the most incredible scenes in the movie, like one where he inexplicably is holding his tiny pet monkey. Yes. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that monkey. And, How could you? And oh one gosh. of like the henchmen who like is macking it with this babe. Like makes fun of him. He's like, oh, he doesn't like women. He likes yeah, his like Yeah, get monkey. yourself a woman, and that's and, the stupidest thing that guy then, ever yeah, said. Yeah, he just kickboxes the guy to death. Yeah, so there's a reason why he's called uh, Bill Superfoot Wallace. Every single scene with this guy, and he's like an older dude. He looks like... A, he looks and is dressed like a gym teacher. Oh, like a, yeah. Like a mean gym teacher. 100%. Yeah. Like that like silver hair, psycho eyes, throbbing veins. If, if you know John what I'm saying? Saxon's older brother was a gym teacher, that's exactly what he looked like. Yeah. Yes. Oh, for sure. But the reason why he has the moniker Superfoot is because every fucking scene with this guy... He's kicking. Yeah, he, he he's got some moves too for an old very, gym teacher. Very Jean Claude Van Damme, where there are lots of excuses for this guy to like kick up into the air for no apparent reason. So I was looking at his Wikipedia page, and he's an undefeated kickboxer. Oh, well, there you go. Which makes perfect sense. Like yeah, I he wouldn't clearly, fuck with that guy. unlike Chris Mitchum, he clearly has real fight training. Yeah, Chris Mitchum barely has like moving your face training. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and, and also to give the guy credit, he's the best part of the movie in the sense that like he knows he's the villain of this cheesy oh, 80s yeah. action movie, yeah. and he just hams it up and goes crazy. He's always yeah and it's funny how it seems to me like by the third act of the movie chris mitchum also kind of loosened up a little bit like it seemed like he was kind of getting more into it like as it was like towards the end i guess like watching that guy kick shit around he's like oh maybe i should try today (laughs) i also wonder because i'm gonna assume that these movies are made like italian movies where everybody spoke their native tongue yeah and then they're dubbed over right so i'm guessing that him and superfoot both spoke english yeah so maybe it was like the only times he had somebody where like they're feeding each other lines they can actually react to each other rather than him saying something in english and then watching four other people speak you know yeah yeah, the dialogue is definitely not the most important part of these movies. No. And <laughs> to Chris Mitchum's uh, credit, he does do some of his own action stuff. There's the one stunt that he does where I, I, I'm pretty sure he did it, but also there might have been some creative uh, cutting going on. He's doing that fucking, um, what's it called? They do it in Death Proof. It's like the stunt where you're on oh. top of the car. Oh. Yeah. It's got a name, doesn't it? It's like... It does. Well, in Death it's Proof, like it's different. Masked. 
because it's it's on the hood of the car. He was on the, like the t- the t- yes, 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 yes. But yes. it's awesome, and it's clearly him. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely hanging on there. But I got a feeling that when they're like doing some long shots and they're like really jerking the car around, you know, that's some fucking poor soul who definitely bit the dust making this movie a couple times. I don't know. I think when so he does a number of motorcycle stunts. And you can see these quick cuts where it's clear that the stuntman is smaller than he is because he's a pretty big guy. But the scenes where he's on top of the car, they either had a big stuntman or it's him. Yeah, I believe it. Okay, we'll give okay, we'll listen. give him that one. Chris Mitchum, great job with that fucking car yeah, stunt, although buddy. I don't know why he didn't inherit any of his father's immense charisma. Yeah, or anything. I mean, he kind of looks like him a little bit. He's he does. He's clever, got like though, bug eyes. Because he could have stayed in Hollywood and gotten like a few bit parts just for being Robert Mitchum's son. Yeah, with the name. But instead, he's like, no, I'm going to be a superstar. I'm gonna, it's, it's the big fish in a little pond thing. Right. Which he, I love that. Yeah. I mean, the only way you're ever going to star in a fucking action movie with your name on like, you know, front page of the fucking or the cover of the movie. Is you got to go to fucking Indonesia and like blow up a whole fucking town. He gets to do like crazy stunts, flown over to like this exotic, beautiful country and get paid for it all. Like I would have done it too. Yeah. And honestly, both of these movies that you've shown us at various marathons are so entertaining. Yeah. Both of the Chris Mitchum movies. Yeah. Yeah. The Indonesian Chris Mitchum movies. In the other one. I don't remember what it's called. It's like final score. Final final score. Final score. Yeah. They blow up at the this actually made oh, me really sad no this broke my fucking heart they blow up this like old beautiful gigantic indonesian building yeah they, and they like just put they, honey on it they re- <laughs> so it's cgi I fire mean, what what was so <laughs> devastating is that like throughout the movie every building that they were in this is the the final score every building that they were in at the end of the scene they blew it up so if they were in a fucking shed for a scene, when they left the shed, they had to run out because it was exploding. And this happened throughout the movie, and the places they went to were increasingly older and more just beautiful. And I don't know, maybe this is just like me fucking living in goddamn Philadelphia, which isn't known for being the most beautiful fucking city in the world. But I'm seeing this like just like beautiful architecture that like looks sacred. And they just keep blowing yeah. it up for this piece I, of shit Chris Mitchell I movie. I reached a point. <laughs> just like, I was like, no, dude. I definitely reached a point with these movies where anytime they introduce beautiful architecture, I just get this like food and anxiety knot in my stomach. Like, don't blow this one up, please. Yeah. <laughs> the cars and the people are fine. But anyway, I, I feel like I mean, we, we got to solidly recommend. Who's to say that's more sacred than Lethal Hunter? I mean, to some people, <laughs> Lethal Hunter is the sacred piece. Yeah. It is amazing. Like, that building just sat around unused for yeah. 350 you years. You would have never even known it existed unless you saw that, Lethal Hunter. That's a fair point. How does he get his information? From inside. He's got a network better than the KGBs. The Judas is offering the microfilm to the international terrorists. He endangered his life to get what he wanted. <laughs> Lethal Hunter. But yeah, you guys recommend Lethal Hunter? Fuck yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I do think this marathon skews slightly towards Asian in the broad sense action exploitation, which is something I love. So 
I feel like there are a lot of must recommends on this list. For sure. Namely, the second movie, which was one of my favorites of the whole day. Yeah, movie number two, Jonathan, thank you so much for this. Oh, yeah, thank you. Was Roaring Fire. This is a Japanese film from 1982, and this is one right after Sonny Chiba died. I went down a rabbit hole and I like looked into like every single possible movie that he was in, even the ones that he had like side parts in or he just produced or something. And this was one that I like, it like dung, like ding, check this one out. And then like the next day I like ate too much fucking cabbage or something and forgot everything, you know, and totally forgot about this movie. And wow. Well, we still haven't done our Sonny Chiba marathon, oh, but gonna, that yeah. will happen soon. The guy who directed this, uh, I'm going to probably butcher his name, but Norifuma or no, Norifumi no. Suzuki? Norifumi yep, you Suzuki. got it. Oh, sick. Ding, ding, ding. He's amazing. I've watched a lot of his movies, and he always kind of delivers. Whoa. Um, what else has he done? I... Uh, he did uh, like a chunk of the Terrifying Girl School. Oh, um, cool. Which are, yeah, and the only one I hadn't seen... I was actually That was actually this movie. It was going to be the, the movie we're going to watch at number two. But, like, I kind of needed something light to put in because I have so many, like, grimy other stuff later on. And Sonny Chiba had just passed away, like, when I found it. So I was like, you know what? We're going to have some funny Viva Chiba. Oh, my God. And he just is... Steals it. Oh, One of the coolest, most amazing people to have ever lived. And the fact that in this film, it's not... it's He's not starring in it. He's, like, a side guy... That shows up halfway through at a nightclub. He's doing his Mr. Act. Magic. His name is Mr. Magic. And and surprise, he's also an Interpol agent who's like the least cop-like. Yeah. Well, I imagine that most people that work for Interpol are incredible ventriloquists. I mean, like, they got to fucking teach you that shit at fucking, I don't know, they the, teach the you Moloch magic statue or something. <laughs> Wherever they, they learn their shit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, imagine, like, the amount of people you have to frame working for, like, an organization like that. So you obviously have to pull some Fair. tricks yeah. out of your sleeve. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it, it, it works in my canon. But, okay, so I feel like if you try to understand this movie as like a straightforward Japanese action movie, it makes no sense. But if you think about the fact that Suzuki primarily made these like insane exploitation films, like he made school, of the Holy beast, which oh, wow. is like the legendary Japanese nunsploitation film. And this has all of these insane, like, surreal moments. Like, not just Sonny Chiba as Mr. Magic, but, like, it starts off in the American West and, like, surprise, the protagonist was kidnapped as a child and became a... a yeah, the com- movie, like, like o- a, opens a up in Texas. Cowboy. Yeah, he's, he's in Texas. <laughs> no, and no, I was no, like, no. It starts with a prologue in Japan. Oh, yeah, where? With a very violent Yakuza assassination. Yes, oh, it yeah. does. And then we go to Texas and it's like, surprise, I kidnapped you. You're a twin and your parents are this wealthy family and they just died. And so you should go back home and reclaim your fortune. So, yes, this movie has this incredible opening that's like action packed. And then it follows it up with this like exposition dump of just like crazy double crossing family, Yakuza, twins, 
switched at birth. Like just crazy shit that they're the like. The sister is blind, but she's a kendo expert. Yeah, they're, yes. they're like, they're dumping all of this insane information on you. And then when like the the main kid of the movie, this like Japanese American cowboy who's been living a lie with a fake father in Texas now is going who, back to who Japan. Who has taught him ninjutsu. And so he's a martial arts expert as well. Obviously, which goes without saying, really. Which he does in cowboy <laughs> boots for most of the film. And then the very next scene, I'm like, okay, this is a fucking going to be a wild, intense, like probably serious, but like fun, wacky flick. And then the very next scene is just like him at a pool in Fighting Japan. Fighting Abdullah the Butcher. Well, yeah, this giant <laughs> wrestler guy. But the the joke scene before that is where he keeps like knocking off these girls like fucking swimsuits. So we just get like a round of fucking inadvertently. Things. He's not a sex pest. No, he's no. inadvertently no. like he, he has a pet monkey that did it. First. Oh yeah, this is the second movie in a row with a pet monkey. I was like, what's happening? Oh, yeah. Here? I wish See? I found more pet monkey. Look movies. at that! I know yeah. there was a theme to this marathon after all. <laughs> pet monkeys and bananas. Oh yeah, a lot of fucking bananas today. But I mean, the thing is with these Japanese flicks, especially the ones that came out from Toei Studios, is even when you think you know what you're gonna get, like you don't. You don't. They're gonna fuck with you. They're gonna. They're gonna like. They keep things moving and switching. In so many different ways, that's just, it, it's its so interesting. The ones that I'm most familiar with are like the the pinky violence movies, like your, Which your ladies. Which definitely borrows from a little bit. It, it, yeah, well, it feels like it was made by the same studio, you know? And so, the same director. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like the pinky violence movies like... Um, What's the big one? Like Lady Snowblood. Was that that's considered pinky violence, right? Mm, it's no. no, it's a Chambara exploitation film yeah. more okay. than pinky violence. Pinky violence is like female convict scorpion. Oh yeah, yeah, or like delinquent girl boss. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, red uh, zero woman, red handcuffs. Yes. Oh, we gotta do an episode on zero woman. Hell so yeah, I love that movie uh, so much. But this has elements of those for sure. The the bad guy is revealed pretty early on, so I don't think this counts as a spoiler, to be his uncle, played by the wonderful Mikio Narita, who's in a ton of movies from this period in the 80s and 90s, and he is revealed with no exposition whatsoever to be a fucking Nazi. Yeah. It makes no yeah. sense. Yeah. He's just like one minute, he's sitting in front of a portrait of Adolf Hitler, I think it's yeah. less that he's a Nazi and more like he has a huge Nazi fetish. Is there a difference? You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it To me, this felt like a fucking anime or a manga where there's just like so many insane elements and like styles and outfits. Like the guy who's fucking dressed like a Texas cowboy doing fucking ninjutsu. He's also hot. He's, yeah, he's mad. And the, the movie hot. knows he's hot. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and by the way, his name is Hiroyuki Sonata, yeah, which we so haven't said. This actor, the, the main guy in this movie, I like did not recognize him, but I thought I did, but I didn't at all recognize him. And then eventually I'm like, okay, who the fuck is this guy? I'm looking him up. And so this, this actor is, I've been talking about him for the last few years. He's like America's Japanese actor. 
Like when you need to have some Japanese character to bring gravitas to your dumb and fucking Ken TV Watanabe show. And Ken Watanabe is on vacation. Yeah, if Ken Watanabe can't make it, you hire this guy. He's in Lost. He's in fucking the new Mortal Kombat movie. And he's got cheekbones. Not so much in this movie because he's super young. He's like 21 he's or something. He's a baby in this. But Still really hot. If you see him a couple of years later, he starts to look more like his current adult self. But he has these insane cheekbones that look like they could cut your head off. And I have to think that maybe he was part of... Sonny Chiba's martial arts school that he was doing at the time because a ton of the actors in this are in other Norofumi Suzuki ninja movies from the same period that either co-star Sonny Chiba or were produced by him. Like his sister is uh, Atsuko Shihomi from Sister Street yep, Fighter. Yep. Do you know anything about this fucking school business? Like you guys just told, I heard about this yesterday he had, for the first time. He had a, it was sort of like Jackie Chan's stunt school. But it was just for punching people in the face I really fucking hard. So his goal was basically to help support other martial artists and help young up-and-coming martial artists to train better and have resources and get jobs in film. And it was a... At least the way that I've read it is it was this like really nice thing he did once he made a bunch of money. So in the late 80s or early 90s, Sonny Chiba invested all the money he made from that place plus his restaurant chain and made a killer grizzly bear movie called Yellow Fangs. Oh my God. You, you told us about this in... Oh, the, no, the, animal the animal attack ever. Yeah. But I can't wait to watch I, yeah, it. The I still movie, haven't seen it. The movie was a flop and he lost everything, which is a shame because the movie is fucking great. Well, our Sonny Chiba multiple episodes are coming in the future for sure. But this one, and much like Sonny Chiba's other Toei movies, it has like the same cast. Like Sister Street Fighters and a bunch of them. The guy who plays his quote unquote, his like kidnappy father. He's in a lot of them. Yeah, I've, I really like that. The Nazi guy is in a lot of them. They always, I think they just stuck together. They're probably a good team. They yeah. got all their their product out really soon. And the movie's great. I this know, was one of my favorites of this, the day. This was one of my favorites of the day, too. I know Sister Street Fighter, she was like a big like uh, fan with, because she was also a pop singer. Mm-hmm. And she was dating like this other like Japanese pop singer, a rock star type dude. And when it broke out in the press that he was cheating on her with like another girl, his record sales just like sunk. You don't fuck with the sister Street Fighter. Probably also Sonny Chiba beat him up. Yeah, I hope so. Tachikawa-san. Goodbye. You know what? I feel like there's also one other person that you don't want to fuck with. And oh my this God. may not be the person that you you think I'm going to say, but um, in the 70s, there was a certain Ugandan dictator named Idi Amin. And movie number three was this nasty exploit. Well, okay. Movie number three is 1981. Dictator exploitation. Dictator exploitation, for yeah. sure. This movie from 1981 called Amin, The Rise and Fall. And I mean... Okay, 
So I don't know if you know much about Ugandan politics, especially in the 70s, but what was happening was, uh, it was kind of like... Colonialism. They were post-colonialism. I'm putting quotes around yes, this. post. Because what was happening was that because England was pulling out of all of the countries they, were, they had previously colonized in Africa, and so was France and Belgium, but they were pulling out in a very superficial way where they were... It was like a fake... Like, we're pretending to do the right thing because NATO told us we have to. Yes. And there was this avowed socialist movement happening in Uganda to collectivize their resources because it's a it's a wealthy nation, obviously not on paper, but it's full of... Anyway, there was this fucking socialist who was vying for power. And when the English were pulling out, they're like, how about we bankroll and give all of our fucking weapons to this general in the Ugandan army, Idi Amin. And that's that's a very, very vague general history. The movie that we watched definitely covered... It's pretty accurate, I think, for yeah, what yeah, it's trying it, to do. It, in fairness, it is honest and accurate about it, but you know it's there to show you machine gun executions and beheadings yeah. and... For to sure. me, so when I came across this movie, I was like, I can't wait to show you guys. Oh this. my gosh, thank you so much. Like, I know I probably liked it a little more than you did, Sam. I didn't like it. Oh. I'm glad to have watched it, but I don't know. I just, I think it was too. Like, there are certain war movies that I feel this way about where it's like, too soon after the event so okay what what charles said what happened after that is basically from 71 to 79 amin kills hundreds of thousands of people and then this movie's made fucking two years after he's out of power and so i think it just felt tasteless in a way where I kind of couldn't get down with it, but also I thought it was kind of boring. Mm, it okay. definitely. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that your take on it being a little boring, I definitely can totally understand more so than the tastelessness, which I do completely understand. I just think that that added to it. I yeah. mean, it's a wild idea to be yeah. like, all right, this dictator left. Let's fucking make a movie. Yeah. We're getting some funding. We're shooting in Kenya. Here we go. Yeah, that's that. <laughs> it's bold. Sinister level exploitation movies that I'm like, oh, totally. wow. Like, yeah. because a, 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 to me, a perfect exploitation movie is one that actually offends me a little bit, that upsets my sensibilities. Yeah. And like, obviously, I'm not like the most soft person in the world, but I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm also, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little fucking soft. So when I get my sensibilities rattled a little bit it's like oh ooh, something's happening here in this fucking movie and this movie fucking offended me i mean now also now that we're talking about it i think it could be that it came after roaring fire and i was like on this sunny chiba high yeah, they're right, fucking right. choreographed ninjas jumping off of a bridge together I'm, now i'm like all right we're in this serious exploitation movie i miss sunny chiba <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm kind of the mind that like anything is fodder for for movies. Sure. I mean, I just wrote a book about World War II movies that are all like exploitation. Right. So right. you know, I I clearly yeah. it's, it's, have a taste for it because I think like 
everybody has a target on their back. Like anybody can go from anything at any time, some psycho, some natural disaster or anything. So I don't, I don't uh, like when people complain about it being tasteless or whatever, I'm just like, I'm just as mortal as anybody else. And if I get killed in some freak thing and then some sleazeball wants to fucking make a movie (laughs) about that. Oh my God. So like other versions of me can enjoy it. Go ahead, do it. I would never make a true crime movie unless you were brutally murdered, John. In which case, fuck. Yeah, absolutely. I am mining whatever tragedy. But I mean, but that idea of mining tragedy, especially an incredibly recent tragedy... It's wild. It's wild. And that, to me, is exploitation cinema. Like, I mean, obviously exploitation cinema means a lot of things. See our Candy Snatchers episode for that. But I mean, this type of exploitation film... Like, think men, men Behind the Sun. Or you love to see it. It's just like, it's a movie that, it's like a real movie. It's done as propaganda to show you how evil someone is. It's trying to get like a political response out of But it's also made out of 40 you. years after the events. Yes, of course. But I mean, but, but the way that they show the stuff happening in Men Behind the Sun is like you're watching a nasty fucking exploitation right. gory movie. Like, look at how but nasty I this don't is. Know. I feel like I could, you could make a case that Men Behind the Sun doesn't feel like an exploitation movie. It feels like a serious drama that happens to have nasty shit in it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like a serious like drama where they spend five minutes like freezing a woman's hands, then burning them, then freezing them, and then slamming a baseball bat into him to yeah. see him smash in a million pieces. I have a feeling you know, I mean, knew that that was what the audience was going to go and buy their ticket for. For sure. Like, and I the mean, that's why you get Cat 3 movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But to backtrack just a tiny bit, I think it is kind of unfair that when we point our fingers at exploitation movies for doing this, how many Law & Order episodes are oh done God, about a fucking crime that had just happened two weeks before? Yeah. Or a Lifetime movie? The, or the- Steven Spielberg with Schindler's List, which is quite possibly my least favorite movie of all time and is the most offensive exploitation Right, and I don't. I say that as not a compliment. Right, right, not exploitation genre, but like legitimate exploitation, emotional exploitation. But um, the fucking Steve Railsback Manson family thing, how that ha- that that TV movie came out like less than ten years. The I get big what wigs you're saying. do do it oh, too. No, 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 oh, no. but when the exploitation guys do it, it's like, oh, look at these, you know. No, no, I I tend to dislike it more when it's a mainstream thing right this i think it just like i'm not upset that i watched it i'm glad to have seen it i think it just didn't vibe yeah well well, i i i got the vibe but the script could definitely have been reworked because it was just sort of like this rambling like wikipedia page where they just like we need to to get to every crazy atrocity this guy did. Yeah, and there were no but, real characters to yeah, follow. Yeah, there was and there's no rhythm to it. Yes. So but to me like that added the like that made it more obvious to me that I was watching a fucking trashy exploitation movie that had dreams of being some like real movie with like a political agenda and was trying to like and, and like to me, like and like that is what offended me about it. Like that's what fucking got under my skin. I mean, it, okay, if we had watched this movie eight o'clock Tuesday night, just like hanging out, having a pizza, I don't think I would have liked it very much. 
But the fact that, like, I was just having such a, like, like you were saying why you didn't like it. Like, I was just having a fucking party with Sonny Chiba, and now I'm watching this guy do a great Idi Amin impersonation. And, like, you get to watch him marry a 12-year-old, and... Yeah, the, like, and the now scene feel... when the doctor opens up the fridge, and there's just severed head sitting in there. That was pretty magical. Yeah, that yeah. was... <laughs> Hey, see, I, I, knew, I knew you'd like something. I, I, I knew... Uh... It's hard for me to say no to a fridge full of severed heads. <laughs> I gave him a little power. And he went insane. His Excellency, the Commander-in-Chief... It could have happened anywhere, but it happened here. <laughs> a man who should have been a common criminal. <laughs> became a man with power over millions. He took the power and he went mad. Give him and all of them VIP treatment. <laughs> he killed the husbands and raped the wives. He lived like a king in his own private kingdoms. The story of a madman who killed half a million. <laughs> Nobody makes fool of me, Big Daddy. <laughs> I mean, the rise and fall. He's still free to kill. I mean, he was a he was a mean guy. <laughs> okay. Sorry. All right. Sorry. On to the next movie. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we got to put you on ice after that joke. <laughs> All right, movie number four to absolutely change gears. I'm pretty sure that this is my assumption here that you selected this movie because you knew the idiomine fucking nasty war crime dictator exploitation was going to leave a bad taste in our mouths. So your follow-up movie, number four, was kind of like our fun come-down party movie with one of our favorite film production companies in the world. It was 1978's Vengeful Beauty. Okay, but also, if you're going to talk about it like it's some nice come-down movie... When when you see a come down movie for John for oh, the for yeah, a Jonathan, yeah. but, you know. But also, this movie was directed by Ho Meng Hua, who it's one of his last films. He is one of Shaw Brothers' preeminent horror directors. Made both the Black Magic movies, made Oily Maniac, Mighty Peking Man. So it's like when you see his name, you're like, oh, uh oh, what's gonna happen? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and <laughs> and those movies, well, maybe not the Mighty Peking Man are definitely precursors to Cat 3 flicks. They were the movies sure. that paved the way for some of the other movies we're going to get to. But this one, to me... It was nice. It was nice. It's the third Flying Guillotine movie. He made the previous two. And I don't know why this one isn't called Flying Guillotine 3. And even like some of the footage from the beginning that's lifted from the first Flying Guillotine movie... But it also helps with it because it just gives it this brisk pace. So it's sort of like, yeah. oh, here's a recap of all the decaps. Yeah, there's a lot of information at the beginning about like the Emperor secretly having people decapitated. And these are the the Shaw Brothers flying guillotine movies, not yes, to be confused. Not yes, Master yes. the yes. Flying Guillotine. Not, see, yeah, our, yeah. see our last episode <laughs> on Master of the Flying Guillotine. But basically what happens is the Emperor works with... The flying guillotine leader, who's played by Lole, who we're all always happy to see. Love Lole. King. King. But he works to have anyone who knows about the decapitations executed. So he kills this woman's husband and 
the husband's entire family. And of course, because she is a martial arts master, she decides to team up with some other people trying to get revenge. And the plot is really complicated and hard to explain, but that's the... the Okay, well, Lole kind of does the Shogun Assassin thing where, like, he sends a different... uh, One of his children. uh, Yeah, different piece of offspring that only gets offs, and then he just sends another one and another one until he runs out. I often find explaining the plots to Shaw Brothers movies, especially the ones that feel fantastical and like kind of dynastic in their history where you have like very specific eras in Chinese history being represented. Like usually when you're explaining the plots, it's missing the point. It's missing the point almost. And, and sometimes when you're watching these movies that there's so many double crosses and different characters come up and there are and times this one has some wild ones. It certainly does. And there are times <laughs> where you kind of have to just go with it and lose track of the plot. But something that I was saying, as soon as this movie ended and we stepped outside and we were smoking a cigarette, we were talking about it, that what I loved the most about it was that there was never a moment where I didn't have a complete understanding of who the characters were, what their motivations were. When someone was double crossed by someone, it made sense. It was like, oh, I see why they did that for this and that. And like, it was really nice to fully... I mean, they're all like that. It's just sometimes character motivations and a lot of them are suspect. Are insane. Yeah, they're just there because we want a double cross. So like, even though it doesn't make sense, fuck it, you know, have this guy... This one also had way more sex and nudity than Shaw Brothers movies at this period usually do, including a whole pregnancy, possible miscarriage subplot that was fucking bananas. Yeah, and for 1978, I mean, obviously Shaw Brothers were starting to move into the direction of like slightly more extreme films by then, but... To see it in one of their, like, kind of historical epics, it was just, oh, you guys are fucking partying like this, huh? And But also, the movie it never once felt like, at all, like an exploitation film. It was kind of beautiful and really well shot and classic-feeling Shaw Brothers flick. Like, obviously, it's not, like, in the top tier of Shaw Brothers, but it, I thought it was really, really good. Yeah, I was happy to have seen it. I mean, I love Ho Minghua. Shaw Brothers, nine times out of ten, even if it's not like the cream of the crop, still delivers. Like You know what you're getting and they give it to you. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. For marathon curations, especially when you're doing like your style where they're all over the map, Shaw Brothers has to be there somewhere. Yes, you know? yes. There's, there's so many. And like it's also like you're seeing that band you love and you know they're going to play that one song. Like it's, yeah. a, it's a part of that set list. And even though you heard it a million times, you, you know, you don't yeah. get tired of Ace of Spades. No. No. <laughs> Especially not when there's miscarriage and naked ladies and ninjas climbing trees. and Yeah, there's, <laughs> it's there's just the so best stuff. But the next movie 
is something that I knew you were going to play, a Poliziotesky. Of course. But I had never seen this one. Uh, it's the 1976 Marino Girolami film Rome, The Other Face of Violence, which I tend to prefer Poliziotesky's that are really just like over the top and nasty. And usually they involve Tomas Milian and... Right people torturing each other, but this was so good because it took the subject matter so seriously and provided this really interesting commentary about greed, which like a lot of them do, but this, this one, this you one felt surprised it. me. Yeah, yeah. You, you felt it more. Sometimes the like the greed aspects or that particular theme that comes up in Plitutesky films, it's... Well, like the villains are cartoonish. Exactly. And, right. and sometimes they still kind of glorify fucking get in your bag. And then Not they have one. a moral about how, oh, no, you know, this yeah. is wrong. But yeah. throughout the whole movie, it's like, yeah, get your fucking bag. Baby. And, right. and they're like superheroes with there's just these insane stunts. And so this one is way more restrained. Yeah. But it's the basic plot is. The movie introduces you to these four robbers who it's clear that they're these guys who are just like struggling and they're just like stealing stupid small stuff. Like we, we even commented like, why are you just stealing a watch? What winds up happening is during one of these robberies, this wealthy daughter of a businessman who they have like a weird close relationship, she gets shot on accident. And you come to later find out that the four thieves who the movie is like, you're sure that they're responsible. I don't want to give it away. Because yeah, there's it's some a twist, great twists. But there's somebody else who actually is it's, to blame. I'm not the biggest fan of this subgenre. And Plinsioteski films are basically, they're just cops and robbers flicks. That came out of Italy in like the 60s, 70s. Because of the years of lead and their like commentary on political violence that was going on at the They're time. They're definitely politically charged movies. You got your like live like a cop, die like a man. All uh, the Fernando de Leo movies. Even though I'm not super hot on this subgenre, I'm always, always happy to watch one, especially in this setting. Right. You know, because it's like, oh, yeah, it's the, it's time for the fucking Italian crime flick. And right after getting done with a Shaw Brothers movie, it's like, yeah, let's go to fucking Italy. Let's get a big bowl of spaghetti and let's feel bad about how violence and money just are ruining everything around us. Ciao, rookies. In one hour, I back Pasquini. We'll come help you. We're off duty. Roberto Pasquini, alias BB. Rick Coney, in one hour, is splitting your skull. It's a revenge film, but in such a different way than Polizio Tesco usually are. And it's like Anthony Stefan plays this rich guy who realizes he's not going to get justice because people are buying each other off and... And you, you like really feel for him and the police inspector really feels for him too and does some of the typical cop shit that happens in these movies, but like in a nicer, more sensitive way. I have an idea of these movies in my head where they're just, they're just so fucking mean 
And you're a little baby. And I'm a little baby. And obviously, I fucking was just talking about how much I like the Idiot Mean movie. Yeah, fucking how the, the tables sun. have turned. Yeah, but, yeah, but no, okay. no, I know what you're saying because what this I mean is a bit like, different. Because they're they're mean in this way that's like oh everyone's really nasty and unlikable. No, I think you're thinking is a lot of them have that dirty, hairy, death wish, like neo fascist, like right winger, like listen, like. Poor criminals are just scum, and like the really way to do it is just to let this rogue cop blow them away, and and you're supposed to applaud it. But yeah. that's definitely not how all of them no, are. no, no. But, but, I, but I think there is like that the Maurizio Merli ones are are a lot oh, yeah. like that. But I, I do think there is that definite strain through them, and I think that's how a lot of people see them. For sure, and I, and that's also why I'm I'm warming up when I realize that like a lot of that is done satirically I, yeah, I mean in a, a, in those... a mean Italian satire kind of way that like I mean because they're made by leftist filmmakers not all of them obviously but certainly all. I don't number. think Umberto Lenzi cared <clears throat> I, don't think I think so. he was just there to make a buck I feel like you could make a case you think so yeah he was leftist oh well he talked about it I never I always just imagined him as just like a sleazy like I'll do anything to get into this like yeah we've all seen right now Cannibal Ferox. Yeah. I mean, he, I think he and Enzo Castellari just are so underrated. And, but the director of this movie, I think, has something in common with Lindsay in that they both just worked in like every imaginable subgenre. Right. Like they made westerns and horror movies. Like uh, this guy, Girolami, made Zombie Holocausts. Yes. He was also Castellari's dad. Really? Yeah, I came I across that. I had no idea. Yeah. That's wild and adorable. I love when you guys talk <laughs> about Italian people. I love it. it because it's like the one like subgenre that I'm not like deep cult and like really? you guys are on it. It's just so nice to watch two fucking titans I I of love the it. world. I mean like that was the first when as a kid like when I discovered Italian genre movies, that was like the first like exotic thing I found. It was yeah. like, yeah, Italy. Yeah, that Holy was shit. that was my. I think we talk about this in our very first episode, right. but it was Italian horror was like my first love outside of like classic American horror. Yeah, and I think because it feels so different, especially when you grow up, you know, American, United Statesian, whatever the fuck. Like when you first see like italian movies the way they move the way people fucking dress the way the camera zooms in on shit like it's wild my head's going someplace crazy right wait a second he made zombie holocaust right yeah zombie holocaust was filmed side by side with zombie that's why you have the same sets ian mcculloch castellari was supposed to direct zombie and turned it down and recommended Lucio Fulci, which we can all thank him for. Thank yes, you. So thank I wonder you. if it was supposed to be like father and son just going to the same island and making two different movies. That's That just kind of fell apart and then oh history God. was made. Yeah. Wow. It's like, when, it's like me and my dad make pizzas together. And then he <laughs> fucking fires me and suggests someone else for the role. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You guys want to move on to movie number six? My favorite movie of the day. Yeah, Might be mine, too. It, I think it's... Movie number six is Royal Warriors, a Hong Kong film from 1986. Which reunites us ah. with Hiroyuki Sanada, even hotter than he was. Yeah. Yeah. The fucking... Only the main, like six, or no, like four years 
Well, anyway, yeah, the fucking hot Japanese dude in Roaring Fire is back in a Hong Kong flick with Michelle Yeoh, the fucking ass-kicking babe who fucking slays in Super I love her so much. Yes, Madam. So many other great films. She is so good, and this might be my all-time favorite that I've seen her in. She's so fucking cool. Also, we got... Fucking Michael Wong. Michael Wong. As a teeny tiny little baby. Michael Wong is kind of a teeny tiny, well, a very yeah. large baby. Yes, he's most, not teeny he's tiny. He's not teeny tiny. He's just young. He's a big fucking <laughs> stud in this. He's 19 in this. Michael Wong is this really interesting Hong Kong American He's supposed actor. to be, yeah. So what's interesting about him is that he was born in Hong Kong moved to the US I think I think, I think grew up raised. in California and traveled back and forth so it's like he speaks Cantonese not well but not particularly well but also doesn't his, and he has an accent in cause he's in English language films too and he's he's yeah. really fucking hot the guy's an absolute dime I feel like in a lot of movies the main goal is like how can we get his shirt off oh yeah when when Michael <laughs> Wong is in the film like you're just like come on what are you doing with all these button ups get rid of this fucking shit <laughs> the, the thing that is baffling here is that so the movie starts off on a plane in the greatest opening ever where oh, it's so cool. like they're all where are they going to Hong Kong yeah they it starts in in Tokyo and she gets that like little fight scene with like these muggers or yes. like these yakuza yeah, muggers yeah. and then she and then it's like oh I'm leaving now going back to Hong Kong I guess that's why they put uh, yeah, what's so his name she, in the plot. so she is a Hong Kong cop on the plane returning to Hong Kong Sonata is a Japanese cop going to Hong Kong his wife wants him to retire so they could spend more time together. They have the world's cutest baby who looks like tiny Sammo Hung. Yeah, if you deflated Sammo Hung. Yeah. Or, or, if, or if you made Sammo Hung into like a tiny character in like My Neighbor Totoro or something. Oh my God, like yeah. this little Baby's girl, this little girl is so cute. But then you have Michael Wong on the plane as a... He's the air marshal. As the air yeah. marshal, which like, can you be 19 so, and be an air marshal? I, I don't know. But the the main premise is they're transporting this prisoner. And of course, part of the transport involves one of his buddies coming on board to hijack the plane. And so the three of them have to team up. They become big heroes because they subdue the buddy and his friend. But hang on, this fucking scene when there's yes. th- the scene on the goddamn airplane is incredible. Like, and, and what's so amazing about the way that these films are directed is that like Michelle Yeoh doesn't just fucking punch somebody in the face. She punches somebody in the face and they fall through a fucking table. And then another guy comes over and fucking throws her through a fucking door. And then Anthony or Michael Wong has got a goddamn fucking fire extinguisher. And they're, and they're throwing hot, uh, they're throwing a grenade around like hot potato during this whole fight scene. It's on a plane that's in the air. It's just nonstop fucking insanity. When one of the fucking like hijackers heads goes through the fucking window of the plane and he starts getting sucked out and all the fucking shit's flying out and then like oh, it's just it's nuts it, it's fucking crazy it reminded me of this interview I read with Dario Argento where he said that the reason the beginning of Suspiria is so intense is that he wanted it 
to feel like almost like the, what the climax of an other horror movie would be. So when you're watching it, you're thinking like, if this is the beginning, what, I, what is in store for me for the rest of this movie? Yes. And, and when oh I'm watching that, yeah, then I'm like, this is like the climax. So I can't yeah. imagine what the other fight scenes in this movie are going to be like. And sure. they're insane. Yeah. A lot of times. So a criticism that I often see for Hong Kong films, and it's one that is, warranted in quite a few instances but still love these movies is that they're usually they have an incredible opening scene an incredible ending and just fucking Kentucky in the middle if you know what I'm saying not this one no this one throughout the whole fucking movie it's just so much fun and even when it like quote drags and when I say drags what I mean is that like characters are fucking talking like there's Characters doing things and like existing, not just fucking and like going out to dinner. Like it doesn't really drag. All that shit is so cool because these three stars are so enigmatic. I mean, even though fucking Michael Wong is a little annoying, it's really Michelle Yeoh and Sonata are just like I wish there were more buddy cop movies with the two of them because they're great together. Yeah. And just the things that happen in this movie, and I, we cannot spoil the no, ending. No, no. I don't even want to get too in detail of the nightclub fight scene. Oh which my is gosh. It's, it's one of the best in a nightclub called California that has more neon than exists in the entire state of yeah. California. And you better fucking bet your bottom dollar that that neon gets shattered by fucking flying On fists. Everyone. It's the tech noir shootout from Terminator pumped Times up to a thousand. Oh, yeah. Okay. So once again, I want to reiterate the title of this film is Royal Warriors from 1986, which is a really generic title that doesn't do it justice. Yeah. We actually, so funny enough, we had another marathon. We have a lot of fucking marathons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like a year or it's so. It's like we watch a lot of movies. <laughs> Go fucking figure, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a couple of years ago, we, we, we watched a Michelle Yeoh film for um, a different marathon, and that one was called uh, Fantasy Warriors. Is that right? Or Oh, the Indiana Jones one. Do you remember that? It was like an Indiana Jones knockoff film with Michelle Yeoh doing Indiana Jones shit. And also, like, fighting fucking what? Japanese imperialists. Was that the one Bobby played at your yeah. X-Fest? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember the title, but Magnificent, I remember the movie. Magnificent Warriors is the movie you're thinking of. It's it's like this historical adventure action epic where she's basically female Indiana Jones, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's sick. But fucking Royal Warriors, this is the one. Is the real shit. This is the one. Something that I didn't realize until earlier today is that it was directed by David Chung, who co-directed I Love Maria, which we watched recently. Oh, with the robot. And I feel like they have a similar yeah. similar moments of insanity where you're like, what is, what is happening? Totally. And uh. he also shot God of Gamblers. Oh. And he was mostly a cinematographer. That's the Chalion Fat one, right? Yeah. Where he's yeah, like yeah. the super good gambler. Yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. I want to go back to Michelle Yeoh just before we move on, because there's something 
about, well, maybe not just about her, but about fucking tough-ass ladies in these Hong Kong flicks, and even in Shaw Brothers movies, that is something that you don't really see in American films, really. To my chagrin. And, okay, so in these movies, when Michelle Yeoh is beating the fucking shit out of some guy and throwing him through a fish tank and then pulling him out... The next, like, part of the fight, he's going to throw her fucking head, like, all the way down all the bottles in the bar and, like, smash her up. And she's fucking bleeding and beat up. And then she's fighting him back. And it's like, yeah, she's fucking tough as nails. She's fucking incredible. But, like, she's not a fucking god. Like, she gets her fucking ass whooped. She's not a Mary Sue. And it's the same thing that they do for for Sammo Hung and Jackie Chan in these movies. Like, they get their asses whooped. But in American films, when there is this super tough lady, like a fucking Black Widow or Angelina Jolie and something or whatever, if they take a single hit, it looks like nothing happened. And it's... It's just not fucking real. Like they they treat women like they're like untouchable when they're so strong that they're like. Well, also the other side of it that I find enraging is that very few women are leads in action movies in America. And when they are, there's definitely the problem you're talking about. But there's also this problem that like they're not allowed to have personalities. They're not allowed to be feminine really they're not allowed to be sexual no yeah it's, that it's demented. And, and another thing they always act like it's the first time like when captain marvel came out it's like yeah this we're gonna get like a female like action hero and i'm like like dude what about cynthia rothrock uh, yeah and and like fucking a million hong kong action movies even in america pam greer was beating the shit out of fucking people in the 70s and then it's just like oh no we're getting like yeah, the wine enraging. moms first tough like they don't know anything about that so yes to them this is the first one i'm like you're you're glossing over so much fucking film history here. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. But you absolutely need to see Royal Warriors. And something else that we found out is that this apparently is part of a nine film in the line of duty series that they don't all involve Michelle Yeoh. But the first one is Yes, Madam, which is sort of retroactively included in the series. So, like, just to illustrate how many of these movies there are with great female actors who just kick the shit out of people. There's nine alone in this series. Are they all connected or they just, you think they're all their own movies, but they just connected with that title? Sort of like the Demons movie or the Ghost House movies. Some of them are connected, but I think in general, it's that type of Italian exploitation. Right. I think there's only one way to find out. Yeah. We got to watch them all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And do an In the Line of Duty episode. It, it'll be our duty. <laughs> There's another one. It was a series of like Hong Kong crime movies. And we only watched the first one. And it was, there were more... It was like... They had action scenes, but it was more like... Something like City on Fire. Where it was more like crime, gun violence, as opposed to gun action. And it was like a super long-running series that we just kind of I think there was in. five of them. And we watched the first one. And the thing, the thing I remember the most about it... They kill this guy on like the top, like there's a, they're, they're in a mall, 
but there's an ice skating rink on the bottom of the mall and like all the balconies look over it and they kill this guy and he falls down into the ice skating ring and his body just bounces like a ping pong. Oh my God. Do you remember this? I absolutely remember that. And I have no I, idea. I can't remember the, the, the title of the movie. It'll come If somebody's listening, please. Help us. Yeah, okay. Also, I have to say, people have been great at writing me on Instagram or Twitter and saying like, yo, this is the movie you referenced. Sick. <laughs> so thank you. We love you for that. But you might not love us for talking about the next movie. <laughs> All right. Which All right. I don't know how much I liked this one while watching it, but the more I think about it, the more I kind of love it. That's, that's what makes it special. Do you want to tell us what the next movie John, is? John, why don't you introduce uh, movie number seven for us? It's a Mexican exploitation movie called Waco, Texas Apocalypse. And much like... From 1993. Yeah, from literally six weeks after the Waco thing happens. <laughs> and you were given the Amin movie shit. But here's but the thing. But it's like a shot on video. Oh, yes. It's, but here's one thing where I'll go magical. to bat for this. How many times has America made Mexico look like some drug-infested shithole with fuck everybody's a criminal yeah and, oh. and now they're like oh here we're gonna make a movie because like the fucking whitey's up there they're fucking psycho yeah i, I so good for them yeah. and i fucking i hate it whenever you're watching some fucking piece of shit new american movie and they have a scene that takes place in mexico and they just put a yellow filter over yes. the camera so yes. like everything like looks like piss and it's like dude that's a fucking filter you put on your camera but like the country doesn't look like this like you're literally in yeah and so to see a fucking well, <laughs> a very low budget mexican <laughs> movie that is about the waco uh, disaster, disaster massacre but it's usually known as the waco massacre the waco massacre well i was gonna say the, the waco the branch, slumber party but the branch the slumber party massacre but here it's like they got the broad strokes of what happened and then just like made some shit yeah. up. so no my well i mean it had just happened so i imagine some of the details are fuzzy my then yeah. still possibly like the people wearing kkk hoods well no no so this movie's sort of like imagine if a mexican pm entertainment made a waco movie yes because the main guy that he kills KKK members, but it's not like that's part of the plot. It's sort of like when you watch Dirty Harry or something, and to introduce, reintroduce you to Dirty Harry, he just walks in on a fucking liquor store robbery or something like that. Yeah. It has nothing to do with it, but it's like here's an opening shootout just to, so you know what kind of movie it is. And he, yeah, they just decided, like, oh, fuck it. This guy just shotguns KKK guys to death. And, like, oh, and I okay, feel like cool. the, Good the way that this plot was developed, the script was developed, was like the script writer, director, whoever overheard someone explaining to someone else the Waco massacre. The cult but, of Dave. But the person that was explaining <laughs> it, like, had just kind of skimmed an article and, like, didn't really fucking read it. But they kind of got like a gist, sort of. And then he heard the retelling of that and was like, yo, I got... Say no more. Say no more. I I, I know exactly what happened. Here we go. And it, I, I kind of love that. Yeah. And it has like an Ilza vibe. Because it, like yes. th these people are on a camp and like then like weird torture happens. Just like a fucking... Like, they catch a couple having sex and like that's not allowed. I mean, God, no, only on it. so I don't think they ever call him David Koresh, but 
the main guy, like the cult leader, his name is Dave, and he fucking looks like David Koresh, right. but the other characters just refer to their religion as the cult of Dave, <laughs> which I think is the best it's thing. It's very so, endearing. So he has the man castrated, and the lady's holiest of holies sewn up, and it's just like, oh my god. But that he could... also spends like half the movie dictating his like... <laughs> religious sermon to this guy who's, who's totally bored sitting, who's sitting in front of a pc running ms dos it's it's magical but also good luck finding this movie yeah this movie so i think what to me is so alluring because i definitely didn't quite like it as much as you guys did but the fact that it exists and <laughs> And it's so rare. I, I mean, obviously, I had never fucking heard of this movie before we watched it. But afterwards, when I went to look it up, like, I couldn't fucking find anything about it. I and found one blog post about it. And I, the guy was, like, hyped. Yes. No, that was, that's the one person. So I found it on Letterboxd. And that guy put his blog post on there. He did something called um, Mech's Trash or something yes. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've great. been surfing it. And I'm like, okay, I've just found another, like, secret cave of trash gems for me to mine for other marathons i'm so, so excited like, whoever that guy is like thumbs Thank up you. yeah 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 because this had three watches on letterboxd so we more than doubled it for my marathon I, hell yeah yeah and it's just it's a real treat even when the movie isn't you know fucking but this is what you want from a marathon like may yeah maybe if we were sitting down and just like watching one movie you might not want to no, pop right. on that, Waco, Texas Apocalypse. For but sure. At this spot in the marathon, it was yeah, like. Yeah, this one we were starting to get delirious. This was movie number seven. Like, we still had some juice in our tank. We were we were starting to run we on fading. fumes. Like, uh, just after this movie is when I zipped out of the house really fast. For some In N Out Burger. I, you know, I found out that in Austin they had fucking In N Out Burger. And I uh, I had to go. I had to get a cute little In-N-Out burger hat. They got a double-double, animal style. You know what that means, right? Two patties, and then the animal style, it's just like their special sauce. Right, right? Am I there? Yeah, it's sort of like Speaking yeah, of animal style, though. Do we talk about barbecue Texas food? No, I want to talk about movie number eight. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which oh, is no. the real highlight. I mean, I loved okay. Royal Warriors. It's probably my uh, favorite movie of the day, but I feel like this movie was for me. It, it, so <laughs> number eight was the movie that like we knew was coming, but we didn't know what it was, obviously. But at the start of the day, we're like, ooh, I wonder what the Cat 3 movie's going to be. And quick explanation, uh, if you don't know, Category 3 films are... Category 3 is basically like... It's a rating system in Hong Kong, but also a genre? Yes. <laughs> unofficially a genre. Officially a rating system, unofficially a genre. Yeah, our, so, our Untold Story episode explains it all. Yeah, that's really our, our Cat 3 deep dive. But basically, yeah, Category 3 is the highest rating you can get for a film in Hong Kong. And even if you like were to make a really like fucking gnarly movie and it goes over to Hong Kong, they're like, oh, yeah, Category 3 is what it, we're going to give It's like it. NC-17. 
Yes. I uh, think Cat 3 movies make NC-17 movies squeamish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I yes. agree. We, but... we don't have a Cat 3, a Category 3 film here. You know, it's either no. unrated or NC-17, and even those don't quite yeah. reach the majestic Like Showgirls and... is tame compared to Dr. Lamb. Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, there's... There's boob jiggling in both of them. Right. <laughs> There's a different type of boob <laughs> jiggling it's in Dr. Lamb. When the boob is... okay. <laughs> At least they're still attached <laughs> in Showgirls. So movie number eight was Daughter of Darkness 2. From 1994. I've never seen Daughter of Darkness. It's been on my list for a long time. You'll like it. If you like this one, you'll like that one. Baby, you know I like this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. This is... Okay. I don't even know how to fucking begin. It's it's wait no I I know how to begin without giving anything major away. All right, lay it on us. Okay, so Daughter of Darkness and Daughter of Darkness Two, same director, follow a similar premise, which is this horrible crime happens, and this is also a pretty common framework for Cat Three horror movies. It happens in Untold Story. It happens in Doctor Lamb where some kind of awful crime is committed and the cops have a suspect who they bring in. And so you sort of find out about the story after it's happened. Yes. And in both of the Daughters of Daughter of Darkness movies, it's some innocent young woman has had horrible things happen to her and has perpetrated some kind of... You, even more horrible crime it's like the gist right but it's hard to explain how gloriously sleazy this is like it also has he he might not be anthony wong and you do actually see anthony wong in a picture on a wall in a police station in the beginning of the movie so he has that role in the first one and what role the Police pervert officer. jokey cop so in the first one, Anthony Wong doesn't get to play his like usual serial killer self. He's the investigating cop, but he's still over the top and sleazy because yeah. half the time he doesn't care and just wants to grope people, including corpses. <laughs> I mean, he's Anthony Wong. He is. And I definitely missed him in this marathon. But in this one, the fucking inspector makes an entire village full like all the men in the village have to come down to the police station and jerk off into pots to prove that they're not the killer for sperm testing <laughs> it's magical yeah, but they're all standing in a fucking room and like they're like we can't get it up you know and they're complaining so he like brings in the fucking like hot other cop to like take a button down and the whole time they all just got their fucking dicks out in these pots and it's a whole group of old dudes just standing <laughs> around it's the Classic, like, Cat 3 pervert over-the-top slapstick stuff, and then... But the, the fact that they're they're immediately juxtapositioned with, like, a fucking nasty-looking bear trap to murder. the head yeah. murder thing, where it's like... Uh, these movies are very unsettling, and I absolutely love them. And they're just... <sighs> Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer and Porky's just... Yeah. Combined into yeah. one movie. Also, in this one, you get Ben Ng, who mm. is probably not a name that people recognize as much as Anthony Wong or Simon Yam, but... No, he's... He, but he's, he's 
a great fucking but, actor. But once you see him, if you've seen Red to Kill, which he made right after this, once you see him, you just like kind of start to sweat a little bit. Like, oh my yeah. God, what's yeah. going to happen? Yeah, he, he's, he's in that. He's in uh, Raped by an Angel 4, which I can't wait to actually talk about on this podcast mm. one day. But it's involves a subplot about a husband who is injured in war and can't have sex so he wants his wife to fuck this other hot guy that they're staying with it's so and and i want to be completely clear with anyone listening that we absolutely love these nasty category three movies and we are in no way recommending that you watch them you should probably stay away from them i i wouldn't go anywhere near these fucking flicks i would spread the gospel yeah i love them but in case you haven't listened to our untold story episode you don't really haven't quite grasped it yet they have a lot of rape scenes tread lightly and it's not just like rape scenes like i mean like there's other gross stuff too but i I feel like if if this is the sort of thing that's going to be triggering for someone yes we should come out and say and not even that but like there's like gropey stuff that's treated as jokey which like is oh yeah yeah you know how when you watch a fucking nasty movie and afterwards you feel like you need to take a shower? This is like, okay. It's too late. You just have to burn yourself. Imagine you just walked. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you just walked into like some man-made pond in like North Jersey. I'm talking like outside of Hackensack or some bullshit. You just walked into this pond and then you came out and you got this... It looks like algae, but there's no telling what it is you got all over you. And you have to live with it for the rest of your life. That's that's what watching these movies is like. You I, now have this film of filth. I remember just, showing you Red to Kill. And you uh, like when the movie was over, you looked at me like you wanted me to pull out the Men in Black like memory eraser <laughs> thing. Oh my gosh, they're fucking great though. Oh my god, y'all got to see these movies. They're and fucking nuts. If, if you're gonna put them in a marathon, watch them late at night. Yes. So not on a first yeah. date. No, definitely not. And but the thing is though, and this is what you did so expertly is this was movie number eight uh, out of our nine film marathon because if you were to close on a category three film. Especially, well, this type of Category 3 film. Right. Because because it's a rating, obviously, there's a whole lot of types of Category 3s. But this kind of movie, you need... A palate cleanser. A palate cleanser. And so you don't have dreams about about a wire hanger, self-abortion. Well, you don't want that to be the last thing you think about. It's like when you fucking walk into like a Walmart... And they got like some shitty song on the radio, but then you, oh, I forgot, I gotta, I gotta leave this place right now. And then the song's in your head, just because yeah. it was the last thing you heard. So for a marathon, you really want to close with what? a fucking party. Yeah, which, and which we did. And well, the thing is, this closer is also a Cat Three movie, but it's an action movie, so they get the Cat Three rating because like it's doesn't have like those grody elements of some of the other ones but the action scenes have like the squibs are extra and like they'll also generally around this period any violent action movies that were seen to be glorifying the triads yes that they were given a cat three rating 
Yeah, and so movie number nine, the final movie in this fucking wacky marathon that we did. Happy birthday, John. Yeah, Thank happy you. birthday. Thank you. Is Bullet for Hire, a 1991 Hong Kong action film written and directed by... Yuan Chun Man. Gosh, I love that you're so good at that. <laughs> and it stars Jackie Chung, not to be confused with Jackie Chan. He uh, wishes. Yeah. I mean, now that... Okay, so I didn't like him a year ago. I like him. I like him now. Yeah. I, I think he's so cute. He's a fucking little doofball. He's, he's endearing. You know, he's he's always got fucking pimples on his face. You know, I love him. I he, love the guy. And he's very funny here as the fish out of water who comes from mainland China to work in Hong Kong as a new partner for the hottest man in the land. Yes. Simon fucking yam plays this super hot triad guy which he's done countless times before and yeah but this is 91 so it's the year before his career really blew up and he just like he looks like a model and like that's how he got his start but like but in this movie especially but we should say what it's it's so it's yeah. basically a buddy hitman yes yes movie it, with which starts off with fucking Simon Yam and once again Lole, uh, much older. Than, I didn't recognize him. Yeah, he was. Uh, he I did, and Charles was like, "You don't recognize that guy. You just think you know who everyone is." I was like, "I fucking know who this guy." Every is. time we're He's watching some old. fucking Hong Kong or fucking Chinese flick, you're always like, "Oh yeah, I know that guy." You know, I'm like, "No, oh, come on." But like 90% of the time I do. I know you do. But they're hitmen and they have this wonderful relationship and it's adorable. And I wish we had gotten a prequel so we yeah. could see more of their exploits. Yeah, this one. So earlier when we were doing, um, oh my God, what was the Michelle Yeoh flick? Royal Warrior. Royal Royal Warriors. I don't know why that Royal Warriors. <laughs> You've been in Texas for a little too long, buddy. <laughs> Uh, Royal Warriors was my favorite movie of the night, but Bullet for Hire, it's not the best example of one of these types of fucking triad flicks that are also sometimes known as heroic bloodshed films, which I'm sure we'll get into. It's not the best, but it fucking went for broke. Like, it's clearly low budget. It's no fucking A Better Tomorrow, but it's just... It's going for fucking broke. Even though it's got a low budget, every single actor that's in it, whether it's Dick Way, Lo Lay, oh Simon Yam, Jackie Chung, like every and, single and Dick person Way's smoking is, jacket, who's its own character. Honestly, give that fucking jacket the fucking Hong Kong <laughs> Oscar, the Golden Bear, or whatever the fuck it is they got. I mean, everyone is pulling out all of the stops. The squibs are incredible. The fucking stunts are great. And even though it's they rip off the 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 chainsaw torture scene from Scarface, oh, yeah, and like it's make wonderful. it bloodier and nastier. Yeah, and and I love that a lot of these Hong Kong flicks they they get derided for um, like being knockoffs of other fucking famous movies. Like, oh, this is just the fucking Hong Kong Terminator. This is the Hong Kong Rambo or whatever. A lot of times when people ascribe them as being just a simple knockoff of a movie, if you watch the fucking flick, it has maybe a scene in common or a theme in common, but they're so fucking unique and there's way more ideas in these films than 
in half of that fucking Hollywood shit that people are claiming they're knocking off. That's the, the to me. There's a difference between a ripoff and a cash in. A ripoff is like when you re, when you make something Friday like a Friday the Thirteenth knockoff where you just follow you follow the same exact formula. A cash in is like zombie, where it's like sure, like this was made to cash in on Dawn of the Dead. But Fulci made his own completely yeah. different movie, and that's what a lot of these are. And and also Hollywood, as time went on, has stolen a lot from Hong Kong. Oh, absolutely! Oh, yeah. I mean, watch the Ma- the Matrix, Blade, like how many like late nineties action shit. Yeah, but Hollywood still doesn't have anyone as hot as Simon Yam, or They're... can't do the action correctly either. Oh, okay, well, if you want to, you know, be more professional about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like in these flicks, when someone gets shot. It, you feel it, you know, like blood fucking squirts out of their fucking chest and out their back and they like make this roiling face like they're yeah. all fucked up and then but they have to carry on. So these movies are often called uh, heroic bloodshed films. You can think of them as like your all the great John Woo movies, uh, Better Tomorrow, they're- The Killer, Hard Boiled. They're all about honor and brotherhood and loyalty and... Yeah. But they always have this Shakespearean tragedy of an ending where the characters just fucking take bullets and they're just taking right, glass right. to the face and they and but they gotta fucking save their friend or do their thing and or even when they know their friend is doomed they have to stand with them to the bloody end anyway yeah. and that's what really like makes it something where like yeah this guy can escape or just like fuck off and get away but no he's just gonna fight the endless onslaught of henchmen with his friend until yeah. they both die and, and and that's also why like when there is a character that betrays one of their best friends in these movies it's a it's just someone just fucking poked you right in the fucking throat and ah i love these fucking movies i really do yeah they're wonderful and we will definitely have to do some episodes on them in the future oh yeah oh yeah this is but this one i feel like even if you haven't seen a lot of them I don't know if this one is the best introduction. Oh to no, this. absolutely no, no, this no, is, no, no. This is the best to see the way we saw it, where we've already yes. been through this yes. genre and we're just finding like a little more nuggets to and watch. And also, I think it helps if you know and love these actors. Yes, yeah. because, if I oh for sure, because then you can appreciate their charisma and like how wonderful the scene is when Simon Yam makes Low Lay go to the spa, right. even though he doesn't like having his back touched. That's what how I set it up for everybody too. Is like we're gonna get a buddy hitman movie with like two of fucking. I didn't even know Lole was in it until we started watching it. So, but I was just like, I know Jackie Chung and Simon Yam. So, and yeah, you're absolutely right too, Sam. That if if I had seen this movie a couple years ago, it would have been a blip on the radar for sure. You know, because I didn't know those actors as intimately as I do now and even though I knew the genre I would have been like oh yeah I'd much rather be watching Full Contact for the 10th time or something I mean Full Contact is a perfect goddamn film it is perfect I'd be happy to watch that for the 10th time Honestly, over the course of one day, we watched fucking Lethal Hunter, Roaring Fire, Amin, The Rise and Fall, Vengeful Beauty, Rome, The Other Face of Violence, Royal Warriors. 
Waco, Texas Apocalypse, Daughter of Darkness 2, you sick fuck. <laughs> for your birthday, you nasty piece of shit. Thank you. And Bullet for Hire. Just like... We covered... We, we went from Indonesia to Japan to Kenya. I mean... <laughs> I mean, the rise and fall, it is about Uganda, but it was shot in Kenya. Ventral Beauty is Hong Kong to Italy, back to Hong Kong, fucking Mexico, <laughs> Waco, Texas, Hong Kong, baby. Hong Kong. This is all over the place. I yeah. kind of love that there weren't any American movies. There there was, but like I said earlier, we were in a room where the heater was going to be blaring like it's just so loud. Because we brought the cold. Yes, with us you brought the blizzard. So real quick I want to talk about the beautiful state of Texas and their wonderful infrastructure. Oh my god. What the fuck? We 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 haven't been able to drink water because they had a little bit of frost a week ago. And you gotta boil the fucking so shit. They we, fucking... we came in. We had a day. Me and Charles had a day to ourselves. We were we gonna came, go on a date together. Yeah. Sam and Erica had to had to work, and we're like, we're gonna go see Spider Man. We're gonna grab some like food. We're just show you some of the city. They had a half inch of snow, and every place was closed. Like shut down. The movies were closed. The movie theaters are like, yeah, no, no one come in. No one get on the roads. And yeah. I'm driving around, and I'm like. A half inch there's of snow. Nothing going. There was like, already there was, melting. There was, there was no snow on the road. I mean, yeah. It fucking. It, yeah, coming from the northeast, it's unfathomable. I mean, Erica and I couldn't even order food off of Grubhub. So if you have, if you're like at like a a, a country western bar and some fucking like shit kicking cowboy is giving you gruff. Throw a snowball and they'll <laughs> fucking break down immediately. I mean, I feel like you described a lot of different states. Much of the South is yeah, like this. That's true. Yeah, and they're probably all like that. They're probably all, you know, sissies over snow. All right, all right. You guys got any uh, shout outs you want to do? Uh, thanks to Erica oh my for allowing God. us to use all this, all, yeah. these, all her toys. Not just all. Okay, so yeah, we're obviously recording this episode. Thanks to Erica, the co-host of the Unsung Horrors podcast with Lance. And I, I, I want to, yeah, I got to say, I'm a fucking, I'm a fan of Erica. Before she was even doing Unsung Horrors, she did a show called Customers Also Watch that I listened to for years. And I still, I listen to Unsung Horrors every new episode that comes out. But there's still a handful of old Customers Also Watched episodes I haven't listened to that I still kind of go back to and I'm like filling in the few blanks I have. So like being here and like being in her house, you know, I'm a fucking yeah. You got the guest room. You got the guest bathroom. We got a whole bathroom. Dude. I know. And I've been on. I've been on my best behavior. I've only broken one cup. I oh, barely sorry. rearranged her Blu-rays that are in alphabetical <laughs> order. That's not and, funny. <laughs> they, they are. Eric, if you're listening to this, do not look in the R's or the T's. I didn't do anything. I think I did fine. But yeah, honestly, Erica, if you ever are in Philadelphia, you need a place to stay. Uh, if you ever needed someone uh, to help you build a pipe bomb, let let us know. We can we can help you out anytime. Lance, on the other hand, the uh, other co-host of Unsung Horrors, who said he was going to come to our marathon. We all got fucking COVID rapid tests yeah. for our homie to come. Never fucking showed up. So, buddy, if you ever in Philadelphia, you need a place to stay. We're going to make you watch Daughter of Darkness 2. 
And one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the Airbnb. <laughs> Just kidding. You're really cool too. But yeah, you should listen to Unsung Horrors. And I guess the other things would be I'm in a couple projection booth episodes this month. And I'm supposed to be, I don't know if I'm going to do it by the time this is out, but I am going on Midnight Flicks podcast to talk about the Manson family. Mm. So that'll Bam be a Beber. good time. Fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. Cinepunks, that's our network. You know, they do. Yes. Thank you, Cinepunks. And also check out my Patreon, which usually has the episodes up a week early. Uh, I do video essays and written essays. And we also started a book club. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yo, John, we got to tell you about this book club. Sure. Because we haven't told you about it yet. I don't know anything about it. Uh, we're fucking reading uh, Shirley Jackson's We've Always Lived in the Castle this month. Okay. We're going to do like wacky shit. We want to do like, we want to kind of go all over the place. Someone suggested we do the Elvira biography. And I'm like, yeah, I bet that would be tight. Uh, Probably lots of philosophy. I think what we're going to do is alternate fiction and nonfiction. So it will cover everything imaginable. And to sort of facilitate that, we also started a Discord channel. You, If you're curious about either of those things, we can tell you more on Instagram. Yeah, DM I can us. tell you on Twitter. Uh, and there's also free like public posts about it on my Patreon. Yeah. Discord for movies, right? That's what... Well, Discord is sort of like a chat room. Okay. So we have different like groups like group channels in the discord one is where people talk about movies another is where we talk about the book club okay. there's one that you will love which is just for people someone started it i don't know who where people are just posting pictures of their cats oh sick yeah yeah it discord's like a it's like a chat room and a forum had a baby sick cool. but and but i think it's invite only i mean i'm still fucking learning all this shit so if you do want to get on our discord dm us we'll send you the link you know no yeah no and problem. there are definitely other people who stream movies through there so maybe one day yeah, we'll i think that's that where i did it when i did yes first covid marathon yep. yeah what were what was the thing what's the one with the video game guys What's the video? The video game people they Twitch. Stream. Yeah. You want to get a Twitch channel? We should do. We should just. We should just. Twitch get, of the Death Nerd. Yeah, yeah. We should do that. Get drunk, play Doom, and they can ask us questions. We oh can. my God, that sounds like hell on earth. We are absolutely <laughs> not I, fucking doing that. I mean, like, no. I won't answer way. anything. It's just people watch me play Doom. Oh, sweaty. The and only drunk. person that's watching you play Doom is me, baby. That's yeah, it. No, you don't. Know. You don't need anybody else. Should we? record a separate intro and outro like does this this is long as hell does this need to be two episodes wow it feels like i've only been here like an hour i feel like no, i've been here my entire life yeah it's been a very very long time i know it's that, that's why i'm no you just want to sign out real quick you want to say goodbyes bye <laughs> <laughs> okay that's that's it there it is <laughs> <laughs> wow. Cool. That was fun. That was fun.